0: something a little bit different today. Uh, We're going to be looking at Jehoshaphat. Some of you say Jehoshaphat, but you should notice the SH there. It's a Jehoshaphat today. Uh, A godly king that makes poor choices. I really didn't know what to title this today. We're going to be looking, we're going to try to look at verse chapter 17 through 20. Um, Old Testament narrative preaches very different than New Testament, uh, than New Testament books do. Because the Old Testament is a story, uh, it's very difficult to systematize it in many ways. Plus, I really just want today to be kind of a flyover of Jehoshaphat's life. As I was reading through, and and this just came out of me reading through from my my yearly Bible reading calendar, I'm way off my dates because I'm so far ahead uh, just in it the way I started. But um, I want us to look at Jehoshaphat today and just see some things about this king that I think is, is uh, fundamental to, where, to who we are, how we live in our world today, and the things that we do. So, first of all, I think it's really important that we understand that Jehoshaphat was a godly king. He really was. In fact, uh, as we're going to see some interesting facts about him later, he's mentioned a lot in the Old Testament narrative. But, but he was also a godly king that tended to do stupid things. In other words, he was a, a godly believer that sometimes did dumb things. Sometimes we make poor choices as believers. Sometimes loving the Lord like we do, we, we, we sometimes just do things that not even we understand why we do them. And I hope that you can remain encouraged with some of this today. So, in, uh, in honor of God and His Word, let's, let's stand and we're going to turn to Second Chronicles 17. 2 Chronicles chapter 17, and we're just going to read for a spell here. Uh, We're not going to read all of these chapters because that would be rather lengthy. But let's just kind of get the drift of, of who Jehoshaphat is. Then, after Asa, okay, Jehoshaphat his son reigned in his place and strengthened himself against Israel, because if you remember, there was a divided kingdom. And he placed troops in all the fortified cities of Judah and set garrisons in the land of Judah and in the cities of Ephraim, which Asa, his father, had taken. Now, the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the former ways of his father, David. He and this is fundamental. He did not seek the Baals. He sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments and not according to the acts of Israel. These are two verses that color the whole all the rest. Therefore the Lord established the kingdom in his hand, and all Judah gave presents to Jehoshaphat, and he had riches and honor in abundance. And his heart took delight in the ways of the Lord. The King James may read, and his heart was lifted up in the ways of the Lord. Moreover, he removed the high places and wooden images from Judah. Also in the third year of his reign, he sent his leaders, Ben-Hael, Obadiah, Zechariah, Nathaniel and Micaiah to teach in the cities of Judah. And with them he sent Levites Shemaiah, Nethaniah, Zebediah, Ashiel, Shemaramoth, Jehonathan, Adijaniah, Tobajiah, and Tobadanajidibada. Okay, the Levites. (laughs) Just going to be honest. (laughs) And with them Elishama and Jehoram the priest. And, they, and and notice this in verse 9. So they taught in Judah and had the book of the law of the Lord with them. And they went throughout all the cities of Judah and taught the people. And the fear of the Lord fell on all the kingdoms of the lands that were around Judah. So that they did not make war against Jehoshaphat. So let's stop there and then we'll continue on. Let's pray. Lord, you gave us this word to read. We know that in the New Covenant you said these things that are written in the, in the First Testament were written for our learning and our admonition. In other words, we are supposed to learn from them and we are supposed to be admonished from them. Lord, help us to find the encouragement that a man, a very real and, and, and fallible man like King Jehoshaphat was. Let us find both encouragement and let us find a caution by looking at his life as you have uh, preserved it here in these narratives. And Lord, we ask that you would empower your word to go to the need of our heart today in the world in which we live. In Jesus' name, amen. It's it's really hard to be dogmatic on those names because they're tough. So, you know, just did the best I could. Some fun facts about Jehoshaphat then. Just some fun facts. This is kind of taking the, the, the flyover view. Uh, we weren't we're going to take our, our helicopter and go over. But other than David, none but Hezekiah receives more attention in Chronicles than Jehoshaphat does. Hezekiah has 101 verses. I mean, Jehoshaphat has 101 verses as compared to Hezekiah's 107 verses. So in the Chronicles, these two kings get mentioned a lot, Okay. Jehoshaphat co-reigned with his disabled father Asa for the for the first three years that he was uh, for the first three years that he was king, but he co-reigned with Asa. If you remember, Asa sought the Lord, then he got really backward, and then he got diseased in his feet, and he stopped seeking the Lord, and he started seeking the physicians, and he got really ugly about things. Jehoshaphat's tenure parallel those are at the same time of Ahab, King Ahab, and his sons Ahaziah and Joram of Israel, all of whom, if you remember reading, were wicked in Yahweh's sight. They were wicked, wicked. They were evil. of course, we know who Ahab's illustrious wife was, the lovely Jezebel. And we can remember that whole exchange with Elijah and so on. So thus, Jehoshaphat was uh, in constant danger, and this is key, of contamination by association with these kings. A contamination which even the chronicler is forced to concede as he writes in 2 Chronicles 19 and 20. And we're going to look at some of that. Also, Jehoshaphat, in the interest of political and military stability, compromised four times with wicked kings. The wicked kings being Ahab, the father of... Uh, Ahaziah and Joram. Four times he did stupid things with them. Don't know why. You might ask yourself the question, well, why do I do stupid things? I don't know why. Okay. Number one, he married his son Jehoram to Ahab's daughter, Athaliah. And this happens in 2 Chronicles 18.1. We'll read in a second. Who And, and, and Athaliah single-handedly, as the the progression moves forward, almost single-handedly destroys the whole Davidic line all the way down to just one left, Joash. Now you remember part of the Davidic covenant okay, was that the Lord promised David that he would always have a lamp for him. Now we find that ultimate culmination in Christ. But Because of Jehoshaphat's willingness to compromise for these interests of political and military stability, that line was reduced to one, Joash, who was hidden away in a bedroom. Number two, uh, he joins in a military campaign with Ahab, of which Ahab dies from the judgment of God, and and, and Jehoshaphat barely escapes with his life. And then he's roundly rebuked for it. He makes another identical military alliance with Joram. Same scenario. Does it again. And of course he gets rebuked for it. And then fourthly, he makes a business relationship with Ahaz, the other son of Ahab, for making cargo ships. So he had a business venture with him. There's a lot we're going to learn here. So what I'd like for you to do now is just take your Bible, get it put in good and comfy in your hand, We're just kind of going to walk through it together. And I'm not going to pretend to be smart or academic or any of those things because it would all just be a facade anyway. Um, I'm just going to go through the text. Now, we stopped reading up here at verse 10. So God blessed Jehoshaphat, as we read in verse 3 and 4, because he walked in the former ways of his father David. He did not seek the Baals because at this time, Baal worship was the thing to do. There was, there was statues of him everywhere. There was a poles everywhere. There was all kinds of idolatry going on in the nation of Judah. And Israel was even farther ahead of the game. If you will, for modern day comparison, think of America and her idolatry. You know what I'm talking about. And look at Western, look at Europe. Europe's farther ahead than we are, right? They typically always are. Look how far they are, but look where we are so it's 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 similar, but it says in verse four, he sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments, and not according to the acts of Israel, which is open idolatry. verse six he his heart took delight in the in the ways of the Lord, moreover, he removed and expelled all of these high places and wooden images from judah and and it's really interesting to note that in his third year. He he started an itinerant ministry on behalf of uh, a part. Some were Levites, some were laymen to go out and to teach the law of the Lord to, across the land. That's what he did. It was important to Jehoshaphat for the kingdom of Judah to know their roots, to know the covenant that they had with God. So he he had a. Uh, A contingency here that went around in an itinerant ministry teaching people the moral law of God, which we know to be the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, teaching them the civil law of God and ordinances, and this would get into ethical things and crimes and punishments and all those things, and also the ceremonial laws of God. They, They went around teaching them, here's why you are blessed, here's why we are blessed, here's where we came from. And here's why God has established us. Wouldn't it be interesting if the United States could remember such a thing? I was reminded of the Mayflower Mayflower Compact. And that pledge that we made to God upon entrance to this country, to this land. This covenant that we sought to establish with God in walking in His ways and His statutes as we settled Here in this land. Of course our our constitution bears that out too. If only we could remember that. Right? Anyway. That's why God had blessed him. And it's so much so that you remember the arch enemy of. Of, 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 the, of the Israelites were who? The Philistines. But it says here in verse 11, Also some of the Philistines brought Jehoshaphat presents and silver as tribute, and the Arabians brought him flocks, 7,700 rams and 7,700 male goats. If I ever had had 7,000 goats in my pasture, I would go hang myself in a barn. Okay? <laughs> and you know what they would be doing the whole time? I can tell you exactly. They would be looking my way with their beady little eyes going, Guess what? They yell at you. They literally yell at you. Never met anything like a goat. You could beat them and pulverize them down into a pool of goo, and they would still look at you in defiance and go, they would still do it. I'm I'm, okay, got to stop. But, verse 12, Jehoshaphat became increasingly powerful. He built fortresses and storage cities. Um, Thirteen, he had much property in these cities. Uh, He had men of war and valor and captains over hundreds and captains over thousands. And and all of these served the king. He was blessed because, back to verse 3 and 4, because he did what David did in seeking the Lord, he did not seek the Baals. Jehoshaphat was a genuinely godly man. He was a genuine man that loved God. He was a genuine man that, that sincerely wanted to be close and honor God. He, this is who he was, which makes 18 and on so painful. So let's get into chapter 18. So, 18.1, first mistake. Jehoshaphat had riches and honor in abundance, and by marriage he allied himself with Ahab. Well, that was just stupid. Here's a a lesson. The Bible says evil company corrupts our morals. Whichever one you want to use, the same thing. Evil company corrupts good morals. The Bible in the New Testament is, is not shy about telling us as Christ followers to not have part in darkness. To come out and be separate. Which if we have time we may look at later. But the first thing he did was he took his son... And he made a a marriage of convenience with ahab's daughter bad deal right there. And you think, why did he do that was just why did he do that? Well, I don't know after some years after this, he went down in verse two to visit Ahab in Samaria, and Ahab killed sheep and oxen in abundance for him, and the people who were with him and persuaded him to go up with him. Because, and persuaded him to go up with him to Ramoth Gilead. Now here's the thing you have to understand. He was a great king, and all the nations knew it. They honored him. For the Philistines to have peace with him is, is, is uh, uh, very uh, evident of how much God was with him in favor. Because the Philistines hated them so badly. But King Ahab is a wicked, idolatrous man. He worships Satan. Now, it doesn't say he worships Satan, but when you have a religious practices that require the kind of tributes that it required, such as child sacrifice and, and other sexual perversions and all those things, yeah, that's, that's, that's what he's into. He wanted to work Jehoshaphat to his advantage. You cannot align yourself with evil people. And not get stung. So in verse 3. So Ahab king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat king of Judah. Kind of like. Oh look at all of the lovely sheep and oxen. And we've had this big barbecue for weeks now. And you're, you're the guy. And hey we're family and all. Won't you go up with me to Ramoth Gilead. Oh there it is. And what did he say? So Ahab king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat. Will you go with me against Ramoth Gilead. And he answered him. I am as you are, in verse 3, and my people as your people. We will be with you in the war. Are you kidding me? Would you really say that? I am as you are, and I'm thinking, Jehoshaphat, no, you're not. Your people are not with his people. No, you're not. What's wrong with your thinking, man? We, We ask a lot of these questions today, don't we? Why are you doing that stupid thing? We could talk a lot about it, conjecture. Maybe Jehoshaphat, maybe he was really trying to do right. And we also try to do right, and we still mess up sometimes. I know about that. And so, Jehoshaphat said, in a real kingly and, you know, what would they call that uh, when the two sides come together? Bipartisan way, okay? We'll help each other. But he aligned himself with wickedness. Let me give you a truth here. If you're in Christ Jesus, you've been born of the Holy Spirit, you don't have the right to join yourself to wickedness. In any form, be it person, with a person, or with an entity or a thing, you don't have the right to do it. Don't do it. <laughs> It's a simple thing like this. If what you want to do brings you closer to Jesus and is glorifying and godly and you don't have to hide it from anybody, fine. But if what you want to do takes you farther from Jesus or or is somehow going to be detrimental to those you love, don't do it. (laughs) Just don't do it. And that's what we're screaming here. So never join with the wicked. Verse 4, so Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, now this is where the godly part comes out. Well, please inquire for the word of the Lord today, he's telling this to King Ahab, right? Now, they didn't have cell phones and and TV, and and I'm sure he had heard the rumors all going off there in Israel, but even he knew. But I like the fact that Jehoshaphat held the line at least with let's get God involved. So he said, please inquire of the Lord. Then the king of Israel, in verse 5, gathered the prophets together, 400 men who said to them, to, to, war, to ask them to go to war with Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? So they said, Go up, for God will deliver it into the king's hand. But verse 6, Jehoshaphat knew the difference between 400 payroll preachers and a true man of God. And he said, Is there not still a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? No. He, his eyes should be being opened by now. So the king of Israel said, Jehoshaphat, there is still one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. Of course you do. Because he never prophesies good concerning me. Why would he? Because, but always evil. He is Micaiah, the son of Imla. And Jehoshaphat said, well, let not the king say such things. You're oil and water when you're trying to align with wicked people. Oil and water. So don't, don't go down that road. So if you, if you go and follow this out, they bring out Micaiah. And uh, there's another guy there in verse 10. Zedekiah, the son of Kenanah, okay, had made horns of iron for himself. And he said, thus says the Lord, with these you shall gore the Syrians until they are destroyed. So he's walking around. You're going to gore them. Goofy, them- thematic acting out. And so, and the prophets prophesied, said, Go up, we're with you because you pay our wages and give us oatmeal. Then the messenger who had gone to call Micaiah spoke to him and said, Now listen, verse 12. The words of the prophets with one accord encouraged the king. Therefore, please let your word be like the word of one of them. They're trying to intimidate God's man. They're trying to do that. And Micaiah, God love him. He said, uh, as the Lord lives, verse 13, whatever my God says, that I will speak. Are you ready to be like that? Are, are you ready for the time? To, and it's on us right now to be like that. Then he came to the king and the king said, Micaiah. Shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead, so, or shall I refrain? And he said, Go and prosper, and, 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 and they shall be delivered into your hand. And he, you know he said so with sarcasm. So he's not afraid to mess with him a little bit. Okay, so something tempting about that. And so the king said, Well, how many times shall I make you swear that you'll tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? And I don't understand that because Ahab hates truth. And yet he's getting on to Micaiah for not telling him the truth. This is, this is the way sinful hypocrisy works. And then he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as a sheep that have no shepherd. And now notice this. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. And then the king of Israel said, this would be uh, to Jehoshaphat, See, did I not tell you he would not prophesy good concerning me? But Micaiah wasn't done. Micaiah said, Hear the word of the Lord, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne. Now this is where we get an insight to the spiritual realm. And all the hosts of heaven standing on his right hand and on his left. So there's this picture of the throne of God, the spiritual host around. And the Lord said, who will persuade Ahab, king of Israel, to go up that he may fall at Ramoth Gilead? So one spoke in this manner and another spoke in that manner. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. And the Lord said, in what way? And he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets, which is happening. And the Lord said, you shall persuade him and also prevail. Go out and do, do so. Therefore, look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of these prophets of yours. And the Lord has declared disaster against you. Well, Ahab wanted to lock him up. Feed him with bread of affliction, water of affliction. Says, I'll talk to you when I get back. And down in verse 27, Micaiah said, If you ever return in peace, the Lord has not spoke by me. What do we see there? Well, I think it's very interesting. You see the total sovereignty of God in dealing with this. You have this scene. God has... Now, you've got to go back to uh, the episode in Kings to understand more of this. 1 Kings, and, but you see God bringing determined judgment on Ahab and his wickedness. So Jehoshaphat is there hearing all of this the whole time. You have, an, you have a, a window into what's about to happen. Do you think ever once Jehoshaphat was probably going, I don't want to go, really? It seems bad. (laughs) It seems like a bad idea to go with you. You are a weirdo anyway. Just don't come to Thanksgiving dinner either. Okay? But he didn't. Why didn't he stop? You know, the Bible tells us about being tempted, when we're tempted, when we're coming into temptation, that with each temptation, God provides a way of escape. That he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you were able. But will provide you a way of escape. Now we've all been young. I think about you guys that are graduating high school. And and those who already have. And some of us a long time ago. Okay. Even under different pictures of color television in black and white. Uh, but we, we, we know that we've been in those situations. And, and I'm talking to you. As Christians, you know that God has given you the way of escape. You've been doing something dumb, and, and you just had to kind of make it go through because God was literally pulling the rug out from under you. There, there was all kinds of stuff, and you, just still, you still did it. That's why it hurts so bad. That's why it's so dumb when we do stupid things because we can look back after the fact and go, well, there was that, and there was that, and there was that. God is faithful and he's consistent too. That grace that we have was evident too in the Old Testament as well. Oh, by the way, the same way we're saved today, the same way they were saved then too. Like by faith alone, through grace alone, and Christ alone. We look back, they look forward. There's a lot that goes on there. But you have to understand, Jehoshaphat had the opportunity to stop. And he didn't. But he was a godly man. Well, that's how we are sometimes. So God determines... To kill Ahab in verse 28. So king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went out to Ramoth Gilead. And Ahab, this bride, Ahab had this idea. I'm going to dress up and disguise myself. And we're going to fight. But the king, now notice this. The king of Syria, in verse 30, had commanded the captains of the chariots who were with him, saying, Fight with no one small or great, but only with the king of Israel. I'm sure their intelligence knew by now that Judah was there. So it was, when the, in verse 31, when the chariots saw Jehoshaphat that they said, It is the king of Israel. Therefore they surrounded him to attack. But Jehoshaphat cried out, and the Lord helped him, and God diverted from him. What we're about to see is two great things. Number one is God's sovereignty declared all over again. Number one. When it says Jehoshaphat cried out, it means he cried out in prayer. And it kind of sounds something like this. Oh, God, help me. Because, I mean, how would you be with all the pointy things at you? I think it would be shot. I, I don't know if it would not be better to be shot than to be stabbed with hundreds of arrows and javelins and spears. Yuck. Okay. But there he was and he cried out, God, help me. He didn't know that the king of Syria had already said, only fight with the king of Israel. So he cried out, and God delivered him. God is good to us as we stumble into stupid things, isn't he? But in God's sovereignty, look what happens next. as he's determined, He has determined judgment on Ahab. Verse 33. Now a certain man drew a bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the joints of his armor. And so he said to his driver, turn around, take me out of the battle, for I am wounded and they propped him up and he died later that day at sunset just like the prophet said would happen so there's this un- there's this soldier he's out there like there's I'm not a I don't ar- I don't do archery but I like stationary targets if I was going to I think I could handle a, a stationary target somewhat okay but they're all moving around and this guy's like just fire the arrow And he, and it goes out, and it goes right in between the joints of the armor. You can't escape a sovereign God. God did that. That soldier didn't even, he didn't know, okay. He's just firing arrows. This front and back, chicken plate on the front and one on the back. I mean, and it went right in the right spot, and he died. So what do we think? Well, number 1, God's sovereign sovereignty over all things protects his saints. And his sovereignty all over all things destroys his his enemies. You you cannot escape. Well, we get into chapter 19 then, then Jehoshaphat the king of Judah returns safely to his house in Jerusalem, and I wonder what he was thinking then. Well, that was just kind of dumb. I, didn't, I don't know. I cried out and I left. <laughs> I don't know what he might have said. But he gets back in verse 2 and, and, and Jehu the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him and said, Should you, now this is a good question, should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Therefore, the wrath of the Lord is upon you. Now, I wouldn't want to hear that from anybody. Nevertheless, verse 3, look at it. Good things are found in you in that you have removed the wooden images from the land and have prepared your heart to seek the Lord. We do stupid things, people. But the goodness of God, the Bible says, leads us to repentance. Okay? The mercy of God is sure and steadfast. In our lives, and it endures forever. He knew his heart. David did a stupid thing that started this whole mess to begin with, if you remember. And David was a man after God's own heart. I say we should try to find some consolation in knowing that you can be both godly and human at the same time. And while we should try our hardest to avoid such stupid decisions, when you're in one, fall at the mercy of God, just like Jehoshaphat did, just like David did before him. The only time you get into trouble is when you begin to tell God what he can do. Well, after this, because the goodness of God leads us to, to repentance, verses 4 through, uh, chap, uh, through 11 of chapter 19 is, is, is Jehoshaphat Turning it up in the way of turning his kingdom towards God even more. And verse 7 says, Now therefore let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Take care and do it. For there is no iniquity with the Lord our God. No partiality nor taking of bribes. Because he had just uh, commended there to be more of an itinerant ministry. And so in verse 8, Moreover in Jerusalem for the judgment of the Lord and for controversies, Jehoshaphat appointed some of the Levites and priests. And some of the chief fathers of Israel Uh, When they had returned to Jerusalem. And they commanded them saying. Thus you shall act in the fear of the Lord faithfully. And with a loyal heart. And what he wanted them to do. Was go out and to teach even more. And pulling the people to God closer. Because that's what happens in the Christian's life. When we stumble. We get into sin. And God delivers us out of that sin. And we repented. We have a heart to want to get closer to Jesus. We want to draw more closer to God. That's how you know you're born again. If when you're delivered And you have no thankfulness. And and you don't want to draw closer to God at all. It's just like, shoo, I escaped that one. You got to check. Do you know him? Jehoshaphat knew what he had done. Which makes it more painful to see him do it again. So in chapter 20, it happened after this, that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. And here what we see is true leadership. They surrounded everything, a great multitude coming. And verse 3, And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. He's always seeking the Lord. And he says in verse 6, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Because even he knew God's sovereign rule. Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? And they have dwelt in it? And and then skipping down to verse 9, If disaster comes upon us, sword judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save Verse 12, O our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes upon you. And they were all standing there, wives and children. In verse 15, he says to all of the multitude, Listen, all of you of Judah and you inhabitants in Jerusalem and you King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. And that's how we're supposed to live. He says in verse 17, you will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And that's exactly what happened. You know what Jehoshaphat's, if you read on down, you know what his response was to all of that? He began to sing and praise. He began to sing and praise. And he began to praise. There's this throng of an army out there. And he's singing and praising God. I'd like to be like that. It's really hard for me to criticize Jehoshaphat. Because I'm thinking if I'm surrounded by enemies like that. He's just got a word for the Lord. He trusts God and he's singing and praising God. He, remember, he's been, he remembers but he's also been told that this is a battle for the Lord. Not your battle. Not your battle. If you're in a struggle today that you can't win, good. God wins everything. Are you before him in prayer? Are you seeking him? Because that's what Jehoshaphat did, a lot of. Well, after we get through with that whole thing, it says in verse 29 of chapter 20, And the fear of the Lord was on all the kingdoms of those countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel then the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet for his God gave him rest all around. And so you think, wow, that, that that's pretty good. I wish it could end there, but it doesn't. So Jehoshaphat in verse 31 was king over Judah. He was 35 years old when he became king and he reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azubah and the daughter of Shilil. And he walked in the way of his father Asa and did not turn aside from it, doing what was right in the Lord. Nevertheless, in verse 33, we have a little clue. The high places were not taken away. For as yet the people had not directed their hearts to the God of their fathers. Why? I asked that question. I got a question mark in my Bible right here. Why? It could be that after a while, Jehoshaphat stopped being as strong in distinction in Judah. It could be that he began to let a few things slide by. Idolatry is is like... A, Wild geraniums. You ever got those in your garden? Anybody? I do. I hate them suckers. It takes a $200 bunch of chemical to kill those things out. So, they, but they're prolific spreaders if you let them go. So it's like deal with that one or deal with all of them later. And it's going to be very expensive to do it. I think we sometimes, like Jehoshaphat, we get in the battle. We get used to being in the battle. And we get a little careless. We get a little sluggish. We get a little distracted. We begin to allow ourselves to make decisions on impulse. We don't consider the consequences for anyone else except us. Even trying to do right and love God, we, we, we open up areas in our life so that maybe we won't get hurt, but others might get hurt. We can't forecast that, you see, because we're really not thinking about that. We just want what we want, as evidenced by what comes next. After this, verse 35, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, allied himself with Ahaziah, king of Israel. That was stupid. He's already done this three times before. Now he's doing it again. Who acted very wickedly, by the way. And he allied himself with him to make ships to go to Tarshish. And they made the ships in Ezon-Geber. But Eleazar, the son of Dadeva, of, of Marsheth, prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, Because you have allied yourself with Ahaziah, the Lord has destroyed your works. Then the ships were wrecked, so that they were not able to go to Tarshish. The other instance of these things have happened in, back in 1 Kings and I won't go there for the sake of time. But I think you'll understand. Jehoshaphat was a, was a good king. He loved God. He was committed to his word. In so much as having itinerant ministries going on. He knew why he was being preserved. And yet he still does stupid things. He makes poor choices as is being said sometimes today. We do that. But he was also a man that would repent. What was the key of David? He repented. I should say key aspect of David's character was he, was he was quick to repent. And he sought God. So if Jehoshaphat lived like this, how much more should we be diligent? And also too, I might add, if, if, if any of us here are, are in a situation or have done something with which can be undone, that might help hurt or 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 harm those by way of collateral damage and do violence to the name of Christ, go do it, fix it, make it right, get rid of it unforgiveness we'll give forgiveness if if you 're harboring resentment, stop it okay if if uh, if if you're if you're jealous about a thing, repent and ask God to say. I should be thankful for what you've given me. By the way, I just want to say something more about repent. It's not a bad word. People have used it with a stinging. Repent! They like to give that air to it. But really, it's more of a... Imagine tears. Repent means God is saying, drop all that. Take the bad stuff out. Turn around from the darkness and come to me and live. Take, Get rid of it and come to me. In other words, give it to me and I'll destroy it in your life. I won't condemn you for it anymore. But give it up. It's a beautiful word of restoration and encouragement. It's what's necessary to have happen. So don't treat repent like it's a bad word. And if you Remember, it was the first word that Jesus, when He started preaching. Of course, it was used by John. But God... Was with Jehoshaphat because he sought him. Even in his human frailty and weakness, and God blessed him immensely. Take Jehoshaphat's example of that, but also learn from his mistakes. Don't ally with wicked people, don't go into business with wicked people. How about this one New Testament parallel to avoid compromise? Do not be unequally yoked together with non believers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? I, I think you get the idea. Having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. And notice what it says, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. That mean, and, and the word for perfecting there in the Greek is one that means a, a gradual, everyday, maturing developing progressive growth in your holy distinctiveness with God. I think when we come to grips with that, that would be the New Testament window of Jehoshaphat's heart. He was progressively doing that, even though it may not seem like it. I'm going to ask JT to come. You know, all of us come today to to church, we, we come at gather as the church. And I, I just want to ask some, some kind of thorny questions, if you will. I don't imagine any of you here are serial killers or working on some major scheme with the, with the WHO or any of that, <laughs> or anything that's nefarious. But in your normal everyday life where life happens, have, have, you, have you let yourself go? In any way to allow to allow yourself to be infected with unholy, unwholesome things. H- have you made relationships with people who are definitely not believers, but but you find yourself being maybe drawn to them a little bit, and maybe the devil's using this. Well, if you aren't there to minister to them, who will? Don't fall for it. Okay, uh, relationships to the loss that we should have are always grounded in Christ and driven by the Spirit. They're not driven by the others. So make sure you're led right. But but in your life, is there a distinction that you are a Christian man, a Christian woman? Yes, you have your struggles, but you are progressively perfecting. You are going towards Jesus. You're, just, you're like, I was a dumb thing. I shouldn't have never done that. And you do what you can to make it right and get rid of it. That's, that's really what this is about. You can mess up. God is gracious. Don't set in it. Get back on again. Start again. If you're here and you don't know Christ, that's the only way you can start. Christ paid your sin debt. There is no salvation apart from Him. You cannot know God except through Him. And the only first prayer that God will ever hear from your lips is, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's where it starts. Right there. That's where life begins. That's where the blood starts pumping. That's where the air is breathing. That's, that's where it is. If that's you, I would just, I would, I would encourage you. Cry out for mercy. Say, God, here I am. Save me. This is what I've done. And Christian, if you've compromised, the altar is open. Or where you are. Just take these few moments and let's let's deal with God.